Hello and welcome to the First and Ten Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Feltz. Uh, we're recording this here in Indianapolis, Indiana, my home. I'm back. Uh, I'm going to be here until February. So for the rest of the season, I'm going to be back home out of Bloomington. But we're recapping week five of Big Ten football. Uh, we've made it. It's been an incredible season and it's been a big week, uh, certainly, uh, for both me and my host, uh, Reed Murray, uh, co-host Reed Murray. What's going on, Reed? He's in Nashville. <laughs> I'm a little off my game. We're recording this early in the morning. <laughs> um, I'm feeling good. Ohio State got a win. Um, looking forward to Thanksgiving, obviously, but disappointed that Ohio State and Michigan won't be playing on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. It feels weird this week not having that, but um, we got a top 10 win, so I'm not completely disappointed with the result. I'm good with it, but we will get into that in a second. Yeah, we'll get into that. And it is rivalry week, technically. Uh, you know, the the Iron Bowl is going to be played this weekend, which is cool. But uh, the only Big Ten rivalry, I guess, that's happening is the, uh, what is that, the Heroes Trophy between Iowa and Nebraska? It's not even a real rivalry. Yeah, that's that's. I feel like that's such a forced rivalry. But, um, I mean, I've seen some of the teams talking trash about each other, so... Uh, maybe there is more hatred than we realize. But yeah, the, the name Heroes Trophy just seems so forced. It's fake. Uh, give it like the Corn Bowl or something like that. That makes it so much better. But uh, that's going to be this week. But we're not previewing week six. We are talking about week five. Uh, let's talk about the main game of week five, the the one you came here for. Indiana, Ohio State. Buckeyes pull it off in regulation. Uh, too close for comfort, though. 42-35, Ohio State, number three, defeats number nine, Indiana. Reed, uh, it was a tale of two halves in this game, was it not? I mean, I think when you look at the scoreboard, it kind of was, but the game, I think it went pretty similarly throughout the first two halves. And um, obviously, Indiana gave up 28 points in the first half, but really a lot of those points came in the back end of that half. Indiana's defense was strong uh, in the beginning of the game. And really up until those last two minutes of the, of the, the second quarter, I mean, Indiana was pretty lights out on defense and also uh, not on the first drive of the game. Ohio State, two plays, and they're in the end zone. But apart from that, and at the very end of the half, Indiana was lights out on defense in the first half, and they were lights out on defense in the second half. Um, so it's odd when you look at the scoreboard and you see a lights out defense team giving up 42 points. Um, but this was a good defensive game as much as it doesn't look it. Right. No, the Indiana defense was great. I mean, Justin Fields threw three picks. That doesn't happen. Uh, that is about as uh, uncharacteristic for Justin Fields as it gets. This is a guy who is just so safe with the football. And he had, I would say, the worst game as a Buckeye, maybe even the worst game of his life, at least uh, dating back to high school uh, for Justin Fields. But uh, the Indiana defense was incredible this game, and they have been all season. And uh, they held their own in a shootout against Ohio State. And it wasn't a shootout because the defense played bad, you know. Uh, a lot of those points were just because of pure talent for Ohio State. And I think that's what kind of got it done in the end. And I could complain about penalties all I want. I could complain about uh, just stupidness on either side, drop passes, fumbles, a ref maybe, maybe not causing a fumble on David Ellis. Uh, I could complain about that. But at the end of the day, I think it was talent that went out for Ohio State. And Credit to IU for putting up a hell of a fight. This team is absolutely legit. And Michael Penix Jr., if he's not going to get talked about the high, for the Heisman this year, okay. Say he comes back next year because he could technically go to the NFL. 
if he comes back next year, this is a guy who I think needs to be on every preseason Heisman list in America after putting up 491 yards on Ohio State. And by the way, Ohio State needs to look deeply into the secondary because Hooker and Banks are not it. And Sean Wade, aside from that great pick six he had where he just absolutely read Michael Penix's pass like a book, he was not good. The entire Ohio State secondary uh, was pretty bad at this game. And Ty Freifogel absolutely exposed him. And he's looking like the best receiver in America after these last couple of weeks. So uh, it was a great performance from Indiana and a little sloppy from Ohio State. But Ohio State can play sloppy and still beat a very good team. And that is one of my biggest takeaways from this game is Ohio State doesn't have to be perfect to win ever. They don't even have to come close to being perfect because in all honesty, they were pretty bad for a lot of this game and got kind of lucky. And when you're talking about the secondary, um, if you haven't listened to the Hoosier experience, you should go listen to that episode. Uh, I came on as a guest for Aiden Kunst. Uh, it's a great show. The Hoosier experience. And I talked about the secondary. The biggest problem there is there's just not enough depth because you look at Marcus Hooker and seven banks and you're like, well, these guys aren't getting it done. Problem is you can't put in a better player. There's no better options. And that's going to be the real problem for Ohio state. <clears throat> so we, we were talking about the recipe to beat Ohio State the past, and we thought <clears throat> week one after Nebraska is you got to be able to run the ball effectively. Now it looks like the secondary is the biggest unit you can expose. So it's going to come down to obviously you got to be perfect all the time. You can't make little mistakes. You got to pass the ball well, and really on defense, there's not much you can do to stop Ohio State. Um, no matter how um, how good your defense is, no matter I mean if you if your best safety gets two picks, if your whole team gets three picks. They're still going to put points on the board, so you got to be able to win a shootout. So, <clears throat> um, the, the recipe for Ohio State is becoming more clear. Problem is, not a lot of people who can do it, and I think right now Alabama is the only team who can beat Ohio State. And it's, I, I don't want to jinx a potential loss uh, to Clemson or Notre Dame, but I think Alabama, with their quarterback and wide receiver, uh, <clears throat> their wide receiving unit, you put that against the Ohio State secondary and Ohio State's going to have a rough time. Well, what it takes to beat Ohio State, I think what we learned, and that's one thing that Indiana did great, is they showed an offensive game plan to beat this team. They just didn't have the horses to do it because, uh, quite frankly, they're just not talented enough. And that's a shame, uh, but they're just not this year with with this Ohio State team. Uh, and they played their hearts off in that second half particularly. Uh, but, yeah, Alabama's the only team, I think, that could really beat Ohio State because you have to have – elite passing on all levels of offense and uh, Alabama's got that and they've got that in spades. So uh, that's one team I think that could really expose Ohio state in a potential uh, BCS game or playoff game, excuse me, or national championship. Uh, that's, that's one thing I could see happening too. I don't think Clemson or Notre Dame can do that. Notre Dame's a running team and Clemson can throw well, well obviously you've got Trevor Lawrence, but uh, I don't think they've got, uh, the weapons that Indiana has, as weird as that is to say, I think Ty Freifogel, Wap Fillier, uh, Miles Marshall, honestly, he was incredible this game, and uh, Peyton Hendershot, those guys were just on fire. And I don't see anybody on Clemson or Notre Dame doing that to Ohio State the way those guys did. Alabama's another story. Yeah, Alabama, you could say that they have the best receivers in the nation. It's going to come down to, when you're talking about best receiving courts in the nation, it's either Alabama or Ohio State. Um, pretty much everyone's <clears throat> top team in that list. And we were talking about Michael Penix um, potentially being on the Heisman uh, watch list. And I think I can't really imagine him going to the draft this year. I th think it'd be the best move for him. 
Um, and I think it is the move he's going to make staying in college next year. And I think he ought to be um, on the Heisman watch list. I mean, you look what he did to these Ohio State DBs. And while going into this game, I expected a lot more from the DBs. So I'm not incredibly impressed. I mean, putting up almost 500 yards against an Ohio State defense is an incredible feat. Um, but I'm more impressed by the fact that he was able to evade pressure so well, because this is an Ohio State D-line that is, I've said this before, it's the best in the nation. I think Ohio State does have the best defensive line in college football. And he was able to evade pressure, get passes off, find his receivers in time. Not easy to do. So the fact that he was able to put those, that many yards and that many points on the board against this D-line, that impresses me the most from, from this entire Penix performance. Right. And you talk about this Ohio State D-line, and honestly, the linebackers <laughs> talk about uh, a really good game from Pete Warner in all honesty uh, they really shut down this Indiana run game and I don't know if Ohio State shut down Indiana's run game or if Indiana shut down Indiana's run game because in that second half Indiana was not running the football and I don't think that's Stevie Scott's fault I don't think it's Stevie Scott's fault that the run game was so bad in this game I think you can blame that honestly on the play calling because when the only run you're running on a lot of those series in the first half is that delayed draw on first down which they did so often it was so predictable and Ohio state read them like a book every time uh, that's on Nick Sheridan for calling that play every single time, every single down, of course, you're going to run for no yards. In fact, negative yards uh, every time you run that because it's predictable and they know what you're going to do. So try and run outside. Maybe they didn't think they could run outside. Maybe they didn't trust their receivers to block. They didn't trust their tackles, whatever. Uh, you got to at least try it because that was the only way you were going to get yards because the inside running hasn't worked all season for Indiana. What makes you think it's going to work against Ohio State of all teams? This isn't Maryland. This isn't Michigan State. This isn't, you know, a cupcake. This is Ohio State. You can't just do things that haven't worked all year on a team like this and expect it to work. It's That's just not the way that you're going to win the game. So Michael Penix put up 491 yards, which is incredibly impressive. And when you think about it, though, they were throwing the ball every single down in that second half. So he should at least be putting up 350. But the fact he put up 491, that's incredible. Yeah, so I'm looking at this, what Ohio State did in this game, and you, you hit on this a little bit earlier. But this game, as much as it worries me, it fills me with even more confidence. Because Ohio State, they had Justin Fields play, I would say, the worst game of his life, definitely the worst game of his Buckeye career. Uh, or really his entire college career, because he didn't get much time in at Georgia. Um, he is the best player on this team, and he had the worst game of his life. Team still puts up 42 points, still win the game against the top 10 team. They still look okay. They look good enough to win, I'll say. So if your best player, who is consistently always there, I mean, going into this week, three out of um, <clears throat> two out of the three games, he had more touchdowns than he had incompletions. I mean, this is a guy who brings consistency and talent and explosiveness to this offense on a level that nobody else does. When it wasn't there, the team still worked well. So now you move forward, you're playing against a big team like, say, Indiana or Northwestern, the Big Ten Championship, which is coming up, uh, unless Ohio State loses a few of these cupcake games left in their schedule. Um, just the field is going to be there. So just imagine how many, how many points they're going to score there and how good this offense is going to look. Um, additionally, Ohio State's defense and the coaching staff, known as one of the best uh, adjustment makers. They're a team who comes out of the half ready to fight. They didn't do that this game. And you said in the second half, Indiana essentially passed the ball in every single play. Usually Ohio State, when a team does the same thing over and over and over, they come up with a way to stop it. They stopped it like really once with that Sean White pick six. But other than that, Indiana just 
continue to pass the ball. They continue to do it effectively for an entire half of football. So Ohio State wasn't able to make the appropriate adjustments. I know this coaching staff is able to do so. So in the future, when they do things the right way, this Ohio State team, when it's a well-oiled machine, it's going to be even better than we can even imagine. And I think if these two teams rematched, I don't think it'd be particularly close because Ohio State would know what they have to do and you would have to assume Justin Field to be on. And listen, you know, they're not going to rematch because the Big Ten is going to have divisions for the championships. And even with that, I think Northwestern's going to go undefeated. Uh, but if you're Indiana, this inspires just as much confidence. And, you know, you, you hate to say no moral victories and you lost the game, whatever. But you got to be confident after this. You just hung with maybe the best team in the nation, a team a lot of people would call the best team in the nation. And I wouldn't hesitate to call a top three team at the very least the playoff committee would apparently they think Clemson's better. I completely disagree, but uh, if you're Indiana, you can, you can't just hang with the big boys. You can beat them. And so what you can beat Ohio state, I think you could beat a whole lot of other teams in the top 10. Uh, so when you go to a game, you're going to go to a new Year's six game, or at the very least a very high non new Year's six game, an outback bowl or a citrus bowl, if not a fiesta bowl, an orange bowl or something like that. Uh, you're confident going into that game because you know you can beat about anybody. If you can hang with Ohio State, I mean, what can't you do, right? Uh, especially this incarnation of Ohio State. And I think going into next year's game at Bloomington, you have to be confident too. Even if, let's say, Wab Philly or Ty Fryfolk will both forego their COVID year of eligibility and go into the NFL, which I assume they'll both do, I'm confident in a lot of these other receivers to kind of expose the Ohio State DBs again. And Michael Penix is is the key to all of that. And an Ohio State team without Justin Fields, even when he played his worst game of his life, is still not as good as an Ohio State team with Justin Fields. So going into next season, if you're Indiana, you've got to be confident that you can not just beat this team, but win the whole Big Ten. Right, and I think there's too much disrespect to Indiana because they come in, they play one of the best games in their program's history. They almost beat Ohio State. <clears throat> Would have been probably their most impressive one ever as a program. They're seven points away, and they – and it wasn't like seven points where they were down 14. They get some trash time points and miss an onside kick or something. They, they had the chance to tie the game and send it to overtime um, with a little bit of time left on the clock. So Indiana, I think um, they looked better than Ohio state looked bad. If that sentence makes any sense. I'm not sure uh, if you get what I'm saying there, but I get it. Um, I get it. The fact that Ohio the fact that Ohio State lost to a top ten, or the fact that Ohio State beat a top ten team by seven, is nothing to drop in the rankings for. And I think it's kind of ridiculous that they uh, drop all the way to number four. I believe they stayed number three in the AP poll. So maybe the playoff poll had them at four anyway. But the fact that um, Ohio State has has fallen out of you know people don't see them as 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 good of a team now because of this win, I think is ridiculous. And I think it just goes to show how disrespected Indiana is. No matter what they do. They go and, uh, you know, they, they blow the doors off of Michigan, which, you know, Michigan's not looking great this year. They went into triple overtime with Rutgers. But still, that's a good win. They did it at home. And it's it also, you, you got to consider the fact they hadn't done that in 30 years. So this is a good Indiana team. And they come in and they prove it with their game against Ohio State. They Ohio State beats them by seven and they drop in the rankings. I think that's ridiculous. And I think Indiana deserves more respect. I think 12 is an appropriate ranking uh, for them right now. But the fact that a team can beat them and drop in rankings is absurd. And I think most college football fans think, well, Indiana, they got my respect. They're legit after this loss. But, but the people whose opinions really matter, the committee, 
they don't think so. And I think that's just wrong. Well, when you look at what the playoff committee basically did in, in after this game, they're ranked behind Georgia, Oklahoma, and Miami. Are you kidding? Ohio State would smoke those three teams. I think Indiana would beat all those teams too. Uh, the fact that Indiana is not ranked ahead of those teams, I think is absurd. And by the way, BYU at 14, I think is absurd too. But regardless, being behind Georgia, Oklahoma, and Miami, I'm complaining about that as an Indiana fan. Isn't that crazy that I'm complaining about a playoff poll where we're behind Georgia, Oklahoma, and Miami? That's nuts. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, but at the same like time, said, it's total and complete lunacy that they're not ahead of those teams. Those teams are not that good, if you ask me. They're okay. They're pretty good. They're okay, though. Indiana's yeah, great. Indiana's a great team. And like I said, I went on the Hoosier experience with Aiden Coons, and we talked about this perspective. I mean, I've seen Indiana fans – think about this. Indiana fans are mad that they didn't beat Ohio State. They think they deserved a win against Ohio State. Can you imagine that last year? They got beat by 50 points on the, at home to, against Ohio State. Now they're upset that they didn't win. They're upset about their college football playoff poll rankings. How insane is that? Uh, so <laughs> it's I mean, surreal. It's honestly surreal. Yeah. So, so listen, while, while the Hoosiers might not go to the Rose Bowl this year, like this sweatshirt of the 1968 Rose Bowl, uh, shout out to Home Field Apparel, uh, the picks, but uh, they're going to make a really good bowl game and they've got a chance to win it and go into next year with the momentum to maybe even win the Big Ten. Yeah, so, so I hate to tell you, Indiana fans, you know, just be happy because obviously you wanted to come in. You wanted to win the game. This is a huge game. You got really close, and you're not happy with the loss. It makes sense. But just think about perspective for a second. Your team was 4-0 going into a game against Ohio State and almost won. When was the last time Indiana was even 4-1 and with respectable teams as a part of that four? I mean, that's incredible. And um, – I mean, this entire college football season is about perspective because I've seen some people complain, oh, there's no good games on tonight. No good game. We have football. Let's just be grateful. This is another instance of that where obviously I understand the frustration of not winning this game, but the fact that you were even in this position uh, speaks volumes. And I think Indiana, I think they're going to get screwed out of New Year's Six Bowl because I think Northwestern is going to have one loss, which will be to Ohio State. They'll get the New Year's Six Bowl and then Indiana – should make the New Year's Six um, if they went out, but I think they, they won't. I think the committee will, will screw them out of that. But either way, you're probably going to be going to the Citrus Bowl. And that's just a huge leap in your program. Um, and it's unbelievable. Uh, I believe it. I'm believing. I, uh, I think Tom Allen is just such an impressive coach. And it doesn't take me to say that. I think just about anybody can say it. But uh, I hope he stays at Indiana for a long 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 time and there's even a clause in his contract he just signed a gigantic extension uh after last season every year the hoosiers are bull eligible he gets another year added to his contract and uh that contract should be reworked this offseason and he should get a uh a fat truck of money dumped in front of his house uh because he certainly deserves it and iu needs to do everything they can to keep him from getting poached by one of the uh, blue blood programs because well, I think he's an Indiana guy and he loves Indiana. Sometimes money talks and you don't know, but I don't see him leaving IU. I think IU's got their Pat Fitzgerald and they need to pay him like an elite coach because that's what he is. He's an elite coach and he absolutely deserves it. You're right. Tom Allen, what he's done to this program. I mean, we saw it last year and we, we've seen signs of it in the past, but now everything we've talked about with Indiana, the, the whole nine win Indiana movement, it's finally coming to life. And I do believe that this, that it, if this was a 12 game season, Indiana would have nine wins. 
So it's incredible. And this is what Indiana fans have been waiting for for so long. And it's all finally starting to happen. And it's really because of Tom Allen. And uh, hopefully, yeah, for Indiana, just for their sake, I hope they keep Tom Allen as a coach because maybe they end up taking Penn State spot for a few years or for a few decades as that uh, one of the top teams in the Big Ten. Or maybe they take Michigan spot or they take one of those vacancies that's going to be uh, there. Um, so <clears throat> I would love to see Indiana turn into a program that's respectable, consistently making New Year's Six or Citrus Bowl, Outback Bowl level bowls. Um, and Tom Allen is the way to do it. Absolutely. So while the Hoosiers lost, a lot to be inspired by. And while there are some issues for Ohio State, I think you still got to be confident about your chances against just about any team in the country if Justin Fields is wasn't this game, but a lot of other games, you know, he will be because he's Justin Fields and he has done that against about every team he's faced as a Buckeye. Uh, so moving on from that game, let's move to its big 10 West counterpart, the de facto big 10 West championship in Evanston Northwestern beats Wisconsin 17 to seven. And it feels good to be right. I was right about Northwestern undefeated. I said they were going to win the big 10 West in the preseason. Nobody believed me. Guess who called it? Guess who was absolutely right about Northwestern? They are on a collision course with the Big Ten West Championship. Uh, right now, Wisconsin can't even win the Big Ten West. Northwestern, I think, would have to lose out because this Wisconsin-Minnesota game on Saturday is not happening. Mathematically eliminated. The only team that can win it outside of Northwestern is Purdue at this point. And it would all take uh, a miracle for that to happen. All, yeah, and, and all Northwestern has to do at this point to win the West is beat one of the following. Minnesota, Michigan State, or I believe Illinois. Those are their three remaining teams. They have to not lose out, and they win the Big Ten uh, West. And they go to the Big Ten Championship. So you so, put your odds at 99.9%. Uh, your pick, yeah, your pick is exactly right. Northwestern is going to Indianapolis. Um, and if you can read on my board back there, it says Patrick is a genius. And the N in the word genius is the Northwestern logo. Watch this on YouTube. Um, you know how I feel with Minnesota last season. Uh, it feels great to be right about a Big Ten West team, and I'm proud of you. Thank you, Reed. Uh, I should get paid for this analysis more. Uh, hire me, somebody, because I will provide you with hot takes like these that become true. Uh, don't ask about some of my other we takes. You don't get paid enough. Don't, don't ask about some of my other takes. But uh, this one, <laughs> I was absolutely on the money about. Northwestern looks incredible on defense. The offense is shaky, and – the offense is the reason I don't think they can beat Ohio State. But all I said in the preseason was the offense has to be okay because the defense is elite. And honestly, elite might be an understatement because this defense is impeccable. Uh, and the offense is okay. The offense is just okay. Uh, that's all it had to be, in, in my prediction at least, because I thought Mike Bajakian, just by not being Mick McCall and Peyton Ramsey by being a pretty good quarterback, would elevate this offense to decent. And it's decent. It's an okay offense. And uh, – <laughs> in the nation northwestern is not just legit they are a true contender uh, for the college football playoff in a year where ohio state did not exist however ohio state exists and i think ohio state is going to beat northwestern handily you're right and we've said this all season the defense is elite the offense is good enough and to beat ohio state you need to be more than just good enough but uh good enough is good for now and they just need to be good enough to beat Minnesota, Michigan State, um, or Illinois. 
those are three easy wins. And I think I could go out there and lead a team to win against those teams. Um, so for Northwestern, it, it's good enough. All they need is good enough. And, and that's great for them. And the fact that this defense can go and carry this team, um, it's what Patrick saw going into the season. It's really the one highlight or the one thing that I thought Northwestern was going to do well. And they, and I got to say, I thought them, that the defense was going to be good. They've surprised me and, and they've exceeded my expectations by a long shot. <clears throat> and well, even my expectations I just we have been doing player of the game before. Oh, well, let's, let's do a player of the game. Uh, <laughs> we're sorry for jumping around a little bit here, but my Indiana Ohio state player of the game, uh, I want to go with master Teague because he had a great game on the ground and uh, that was honestly what won it for Ohio state with fields, not playing well, but I'm going with Michael. Pitt, Jr. 491 yards is nothing to laugh at. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Penix um, and or Fry Fogel really the players of the game. Yeah, Fry Fogel uh, was great. <laughs> I, I always give the player of the game to someone on the winning team. So I'm going to go Master Teague. He was the one guy. He and Garrett Wilson were the two uh, biggest components of Ohio State offense, but it would feel wrong giving it to Garrett Wilson when uh, he and Fry Fogel got, I believe, the same amount of um, touches, but Fry Fogel got about double the amount of yards. So I'm going to go Teague, um, the fact that he could run the ball in this game and establish a run game that Ohio State hadn't really had all season. That was huge for the win. He was part of the reason why they got this win. But for Northwestern, my play of the game is going to be Brandon Joseph, who got two interceptions. I mean, this is what this is how Northwestern wins games. It's their secondaries. It's their, it's their secondaries, it's their DBs. Those are, that's what's going to win the game for Northwestern. The fact that he was able to do it against a top-tier quarterback like Graham Mertz, that is amazing. And that's how Northwestern got this far. It's the defense. It's the secondary. Uh, this is just another great example of it. Brandon Joseph's my player of the game too. And and Graham Mertz looked utterly human in this game. And that's something we haven't been able to say about him in his other two starts. Uh, obviously those games were not against even good defenses, I'd say. And they just played an elite one. They played an elite defense and uh, he got knocked on his butt and he got killed. Uh, Northwestern defense. They surprised me too. And Reed, I, I tried to say that while you were talking, but uh, my bad for Sorry to our listeners about that, but uh, Northwestern's defense is elite, and that surprised me because I thought they were going to be great. I thought they were going to be probably the top unit in the nation. This is a top five unit, maybe even the best, some would say. Uh, but this defense just made Wisconsin's otherwise high-flying offense look utterly human. Yeah. Um, and Gray Mertz, we talked about this. I talked about this in my uh, film session about how he might struggle early when he faces some of these good defenses. And this was the first good defense he's faced. He, he took on Illinois, who we, we thought their secondary was going to be good. It wasn't at all. Um, Michigan, probably arguably the worst secondary, arguably worst pass defense in the entire Big Ten. Um, and he torched them. <clears throat> this is what we we're talking about. This is the type of game where we thought Graham Mertz might struggle. And that's the thing. Graham Mertz is already a great quarterback, and he's already a quarterback who would start at a lot of college football teams. Um, but he's just not the Heisman contender. Some people were saying after his week one win against Illinois, he's got to be on Heisman uh, list right now. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's not be silly here. Um, this was a good example of it. He's still a young quarterback, and it's okay for him to go into a game like this and not blow them up. I mean, it's Northwestern. This is one of the best pass defenses, one of the best total defenses in college football. So the fact that he wasn't really able to do what he did against Michigan. That is perfectly okay. And that's honestly what I expected. So I'm still a huge believer in Graham Mertz. And I think that I still think that by the end of his Wisconsin career, he's going to have a Heisman trophy in his, in his uh, trophy case. 
Yeah, that's possible. I mean, if in every other game he, he looks like he did against Illinois or Michigan, then sure. But when it comes to this game against Northwestern, he just got torched. And that's going to happen early on because he's still a super young quarterback. So uh, he needs to iron that out, I think, before you really make him, you know, an elite player, a Heisman contender, because he's a great player with a lot of upside, uh, but he's got a long way to go. If he can uh, perform better in these big moments against these great teams, then maybe we're talking. But he didn't, and Northwestern got the win. Uh, so we'll probably see Wildcats and Buckeyes in the Big Ten Championship unless uh, the unthinkable happens. But who knows at this point? So uh, that's that game. Let's talk about the Friday night game, Purdue and Minnesota. I mean, early on, though, I, I want to just say in this game, Minnesota looked good early on, better than they have a lot of games, and Purdue was kind of struggling. So if you didn't watch this game, Purdue has a chance to win the game. They go to the end zone. Jack Plummer, the backup quarterback, goes to the end zone. Beautiful pass. It's caught for a touchdown. Purdue's going to win the game. Offensive pass interference. And they go back and show the replay. This is maybe the worst call I've ever seen, Reed. And if you haven't seen this play, go look up the Purdue offensive pass interference because Purdue got robbed. They just got robbed. Just an awful, awful, awful penalty call that cost them the game. And... In all honesty, Purdue didn't deserve to win because they played like crap against an awful team. But when a penalty call like that is happening, you deserve to win the game. I mean, they deserve to win it from that level, but from a way they played level, come on. It shouldn't have come to that. Purdue is a better team than Minnesota. It should not have come down to that, but it did, and uh, it cost you. And I, I feel sorry for Purdue because uh, – and I Me feel too. sorry for myself because I wanted Purdue to go to the Big Ten Championship and I wanted Ohio State to slap him around, get some revenge. Uh, maybe I could talk some trash to our boy Tommy Devine. But looks like it's not happening after this game. Um, yeah, after the loss to Northwestern, you would, it, it would be theoretically possible for them to win out and make it. Um, but those hopes are all but gone now with Northwestern's um, path to Indianapolis – um, but yeah, this is probably the worst football call I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, because it wasn't even close and maybe there was some sort of push off that the camera didn't get, uh, before the camera cut to flare, but I've seen it from multiple angles. I didn't see a single bit of contact from the receiver to the defensive back. I don't know what the ref saw. Um, maybe they had money on Minnesota or something, but I just can't even fathom how this happened. He, he didn't, it wasn't even like one where it was close, you know, oh, maybe he didn't, didn't see that. There was, the, there was about this much space between the two players. And that happened. I can't believe that call was made. Um, and you feel sorry for him, but yeah, you can't be in this close of a game with Minnesota anyway. And it, it's horrible that, that Purdue, even, you know, I hate to say, well, if you don't want this to happen, uh, don't put yourself in the position, but it's Minnesota is having one of the worst seasons uh, or one of the worst, I don't even know what you would call it, but one of the worst seasons on the back of a historically great season. Uh, one of the worst, uh, I guess, sophomore slumps, you could say. Um, and you got, you got to be able to get a big lead against them. You got to be able to, have a game against Minnesota not come down to the wire. This one did. And honestly, it, it's the ref's fault for Purdue losing, but it's also their fault. Yeah, Purdue, you can't you can't be in that position, especially when you have Rondell Moore back on the field, who, by the way, 
still look like Rondell Moore uh, and David Bell still look like David Bell. So if everything else is clicking for Purdue, maybe you could, could be better, but you can't let Minnesota drop 34 points on you and their offense has looked inept the rest of the season. So uh, with, with that out of the way, I, I mean, my player of the game is the refs in all honesty, but I, I guess I'll go with, with Plummer as my player of the game because, I mean, he threw for 367 yards as a backup. I think he's looked better than Aiden O'Connell has. Uh, but then again, it's against the Minnesota defense. So how much can you, can you draw away from that? But in what was an awfully weird game, just weird on so many levels, I guess I'll go with Plummer, another losing team MVP for two of my three games. But Plummer was great. He was just great. It's easy to be great when you're throwing against Minnesota and when you're uh, throwing to David Bell and Rondale Moore, but he was great nonetheless. So uh, Jack Plummer, player of the game, I think he deserves a start next week. I agree with you on that, and I was an Aiden O'Connell guy this season, but Jack Plummer, um, he proved his worth. And Well, actually, maybe not because Minnesota's defense um, is horrific, so maybe next week we'll go in and and we'll expect a lot from him, and he won't uh, prove it. But I think my play of the game is going to be Mo Ibrahim. Um, wasn't even a great game by Mo Ibrahim standards, especially against this Purdue defense. Picked up 102 yards and three touchdowns. But uh, once again, he was the reason Minnesota won. He was the reason they got points on the board. He is essentially their entire offense. Um, so he, he's the best player on the winning team. I'm going with Mo Ibrahim. And it just proves it's just like the Justin Fields situation where when your best player doesn't show up, you can still win. It says something. Um, and really – when this is your bad game, when three touchdowns and 102 yards is a bad game for you as a running back, that says something about who you are as a player. So I'm going Ibrahim. Yeah. I mean, other than that, Ibrahim was great. Uh, and he's great every week, but 102 yards for him being disappointing is nuts. He is the ultimate great stats, bad team guy. And you know what? The bad team got the win. So uh, Minnesota gets it done there. But uh, let's move into our next game, Illinois, Nebraska. Reed, this is the point of the show where you just get to point and laugh at Nebraska. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. So Nebraska, uh, they allegedly brought back Big Ten football. They act like it at least. Uh, they bring back Big Ten football. We'll, we'll give it to you. Okay, sure. Nebraska saves the season. I'll say, okay, fine. You did it. Congratulations, Nebraska. You saved the season. Uh, let's go through the schedule. At Ohio State, lost 52 to 17. Canceled versus Wisconsin. Uh, there were people on the Nebraska side like, oh, if it was Nebraska who had COVID, we'd still be playing. Okay, whatever. Uh, lost to Northwestern 21 to 13. You beat a bad Penn State team 30 to 23. And then you lost to Illinois 41 to 23. Was it worth it, Nebraska? Kind of regretting that you saved the season now? Any regrets? See, this is why I don't like Nebraska, because <laughs> this right here is exactly why. Um, because all their fans and journalists and pundits are all talking about how, how they're the victim in every situation and how they save Big Ten football and everyone should be uh, bowing down to them. And then they go out and lay an egg against Illinois. Illinois has two wins now. And I would still maybe say they're the worst team in the Big Ten. Actually, no, I would say Michigan State's worst team in the Big Ten now. But, uh, I mean, they laid an egg against, against one of the worst teams in the Big Ten in a game that was a must-win with momentum coming off the back of a Penn State win. I mean, they, you had everything you could want in this game. It was a home game. 
They had momentum. It was a must win. There was no reason to not be there, uh, not be prepared mentally or psychologically. And they lost to the fighting Illini. That's just embarrassing. And that's what I was saying in, in, in the offseason. Scott Frost has to go. And this is another coach where they're going to play the pandemic card, I think, because um, everybody loves Scott Frost. He's, he's, a North, he's a Nebraska alum. He played football there. Um, and, and he was a great coach at UCF. He's just not built for power five football yet. I think he's got to go get another job like the UCF job. Maybe he'll go to coach at Tulsa or Arkansas state or one of these um, group of five programs that's successful, but, or maybe he'll turn around another group of five program. We'll see. He's just not built for power five football this, at this specific time in his career. I think he'll be back here um, at another power five program at, at, at one point, but right now it's just not for him. And this is proof of it. You've got to be able to win a must win game against Illinois at home. This is awful. I don't know if Scott Frost isn't built for power five football, but I know Nebraska is not built for power five football. And maybe you wait until his recruits start coming through because he's recruited well. And until he's got his guys on the team or whatever, but at the same time, you got to beat Illinois. Come on. That's what I'm saying. If you You're Nebraska, can't take- it, if you I don't, pick I don't care how bad this team is, Reed. Yeah. I don't care how bad this Nebraska team is. You're still Nebraska. That's what I'm so, saying, yeah. It's, yeah. If you can't take the talent that's on this team, if you can't have um, Luke McCaffrey win a game against Illinois, that's it. You're done. You're out. That's what I if – I, if I'm the Nebraska AD, you're done. Maybe I'll let you finish the season, but you're out of here. Don't let the door hit you on your way out. But uh, Nebraska's not going to do it They're because they're, they don't want another – Bo Pelini situation. Although, I mean, he, he's not even getting a consistent nine and three seasons. He, he's yet to make a bowl game as Nebraska's head coach. I mean, he's only been there two years, but he's yet to make a bowl game. He's not going to make a bowl game this season. That's three years. You were supposed to come in and turn Nebraska around. You didn't. You're gone. We don't need you anymore. Get out. That's what I say. Yeah, it, it's a shame, isn't it? Like, they, they should be so much better than they are, but they're not. And that's, I predicted that in the preseason. I said, they're just not going to be good enough. You know, you can see them on paper and think this could be a good team. A lot of talented players. It's not going to happen. It's Nebraska. It's just not going to happen. This team, you can't put any faith in them ever. And I was a fool for thinking they could beat Illinois because Illinois just looked flat out better than Nebraska. Illinois cared more than Nebraska. Nebraska looked like they didn't care about winning this game. And, and Illinois did. And Brandon Peters as my player of the game. He came in after missing a couple of weeks for COVID, uh, replaced Juicebox Williams, a uh, legend who we'll hopefully see again one day. Hopefully he figures out how to throw a forward pass. But uh, Brandon Peters looked pretty good. And that's all you needed to beat Nebraska. You didn't need to look great. You didn't need to have a very good game. You looked pretty good. You had a good game. That's all you need to beat Nebraska. So uh, Brandon Peters, player of the game. Yeah, my player of the game is going to be Mike Epstein. He got 13 carries, 113 yards, averaged 8.7 yards per carry, and got a touchdown. Um, that's pretty impressive for me. This is an Illinois team who, um, even with Brandon Peters at the helm, they're going to rely on the running game a lot. So um, he and Chase Brown both had pretty good, uh, both played pretty well this game. He's going to be my player of the game mainly just because he got half the carries that Brown got and got more yards. Um, but Illinois, they look good. I mean, they put up 41 points. Even against Nebraska, that's impressive considering the fact that they are Illinois. Um, and I wouldn't expect them to put up 41 points against really anyone. Uh, but they did, and they did a good job. This is essentially a, a better version of their Purdue game where um, it's, it's a bad defense. They put up a fight, but this one they actually come away with it. And I think that's the difference between Nebraska and, say, Purdue. 
Well, and the difference in that game is also that Brandon Peters played in the Nebraska game and against Purdue, you were playing a fourth stringer. And that's true. Yeah, that is true. Um, but the fact that Purdue, um, even with a defense as bad as they have, the fact that with such a bad unit, they can still come over the win. That's the difference between Purdue and Nebraska. Um, and that's why Nebraska, Scott Frost has to go. That's, that's just my final verdict of this game. And maybe he's not the entire problem with Nebraska, but he's a huge part of it. And I don't think anything is going to change if you keep him as the head coach. This is the problem, though. It's the same thing with Penn State and Michigan. I don't think they're going to have, they're going to have the spine to fire him. I think he stays Nebraska's head coach next year. They have another mediocre season where they go five and seven, six and six. Uh, they're going to be the same Nebraska team we've seen for so long. And I think nothing changes until Frost is gone. Yeah, I think you're probably right, Reed. Uh, I don't think they're going to let him go either. I don't even know if it would be the right move to let him go right now, maybe give him another gear. The COVID excuse is, is an easy one, but it there's some truth to it, I think. Uh, but we'll see. He certainly has not had the results so far, and I don't know if it's time to give up on him quite yet. Maybe let his guys kind of get in there uh, before he's gone. But uh, next game, Iowa, Penn State. Iowa goes in and wins a game by 20 points. Iowa put up 41. Iowa in their last three games, 49 points, 35 points, 41 points. This offense is on a roll, and it's all thanks to the running game and Tyler Goodson. However, Iowa is not that good of a football team. They are thoroughly mediocre and have played three awful teams three weeks in a row. They played two teams with a pulse in their first two weeks. They played an okay Purdue team and lost. They played a very good Northwestern team and lost, albeit by a point. So they go in and they play three straight teams, uh, including a Penn State team. I think that has completely given up on the season. This isn't week one Penn State that still has high hopes. This is Penn State with uh, no ambition. And, and sure, they crushed all these teams, but this is not a team that should be ranked in the college football playoff top 25. A three and two Big Ten West team is ranked 24th in the country. That is absurd. That is just, come on. Are you kidding? If, if I was a ranked team, then uh, I don't know what to say because they are not good enough to be ranked in my mind. No team with Spencer Petras at quarterback should be ranked. I get a bone to pick with a lot of these uh, top 25 rankings, a lot of the, a lot of their selections. Um, and I, I just want to say coastal Carolina at 20, come on playoff committee, show some respect to my shots. But uh, regardless, um, the fact that you can have your quarterback, your quarterback throw for zero touchdowns and score 41 points is big. Um, and I don't think this Iowa team deserves to be ranked, but they had a good game and it was their run game. They finally, they figured out what works for them. They're sticking to it, and I like to see that. So Iowa starting to pick up some traction. I mean, I, I kind of get where um, – I see where the playoff committee is coming from a little bit with the fact that um, if if one or two things goes differently against Northwestern, um, they're a 4-1 and one team with a win against a good Northwestern team. I mean, to be fair, they were up early in Northwestern, and it's really their bad for losing that game. But – the fact that they were able to do that against Northwestern, it's impressive. So they have three wins and a one-point loss to a top 10 team. Not a terrible resume, but I completely agree with you. When you actually sit down and watch this team play football, they don't deserve to be ranked in the top 25. Um, That's the thing. A lot of voters on a lot of these polls, playoff committee, AP, or coaches, it feels like they're not watching the games. I mean, certainly the coaches poll, you can't watch all the games. You got to coach your own team. But I mean, 
are, are, are these other voters just not watching? Because if you watch Iowa, this is not a team that should be ranked. They are just okay. They're an okay team and they'll make a bowl, but they're not that good. Yeah. But I mean, let's take a second to talk about Penn state. Um, Will Levis, we said he was going to be the key. He comes in, throws 13 for 16, 106 yards, looks all right. But the majority of the steps are being taken by Sean Clifford. Why? Why is Penn State, why is James Franklin still putting faith in Sean Clifford? Dude threw two picks this game. Why is he still at the helm for Penn State? What, what is going on in Happy Valley? What is, you know, what is it, what's in the, uh, the signal caller for this team? It's, it's, it's just ineptitude. It's just straight up ineptitude. Will Levis is, is going to be the, the one element who might maybe bring his team two wins this season. And they're refusing to let him uh, be the main guy. I mean, he picked up 34 yards on the ground, 106 yards in, uh, through the air. Penn State needs a dual threat quarterback. They need something new in this offense. Um, or else you're not going to be able to, to get enough points to beat Iowa. And the fact that this defense um, gave up 41 points against Iowa, I mean, we were talking about how they have good D-line, they got good linebackers. What happened to Penn State? I mean, every week you, you think that they're going to figure something out, and I thought they were going to get a win against Iowa this week. And you start to question, can they beat Michigan? Can they beat Rutgers? Can they even beat Michigan State? You would have to think they could beat Michigan State, but hell, Michigan State wouldn't beat Michigan. So, <laughs> I mean, this is a Penn State team who legitimately might go winless, and I'm hesitant to say that the worst in the Big Ten because I still think with all the talent and the fact that James Franklin is their coach, you can't put them behind Michigan State. But, oh, my God. I mean, this Michigan game, this is going to say a lot about Penn State, and, and, and I've seen a lot. Of, I don't, I don't want to get into the preview too much. But picking a winner from Michigan and Penn State this season, might, that might be the hardest game to pick all year. I mean, we thought that Northwestern Wisconsin was hard to pick because both teams are, are really good and they play similar styles of football. But, I mean, when you have two teams who have the talent they have, they have, as much as I clown both coaches, they have good coaching, each of them they do, and they still put out the results they get. It's so hard to pick a, a team out of those. I just – I can't even put into words how disappointed I am by Penn State this year. But back to Iowa. I'm going to give my player of the game to Makey Sargent. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce his first name. Um, but I've been a big believer in him. Um, and I like, this, um, I like this Iowa Hawkeyes running back tandem of Tyler Goodson and Sargent. Sargent got 100, 101 yards and 15 carries, two touchdowns. Um, that's a big game for him. So he's going to be my player of the game. But Tyler Goodson, he also showed up. He did what he needed to do got 78 yards and a touchdown so um really the running game is a whole be player of the game or unit of the game for iowa but i'm gonna give sergeant player of the game for me i'll give it to goodson just so we can say we have that one two punch together uh and, and we can defer uh from each other a little bit but uh michael Penix jr killed penn state football he killed he it with by reaching and breaking the plane by a centimeter he killed penn state football he just did uh, they have no fight. They have no hope. They lost all their momentum after that game. Uh, they were so, you know, y- you remember the pregame show to Indiana Penn State. It was 
can Penn State beat Ohio State? That's all they talked about in that pregame show. And it's hilarious to go back and, and, and if you watch that, it's hilarious. But the fact of the matter is, ever since Michael Penix Jr. made that play, and by the way, ever since uh, Penn State scored that touchdown that they shouldn't have scored uh, against Indiana that gave IU a chance to drive down the field and win the game, which they did, Penn State football hasn't been the same. They've lost all their fight, their momentum. This has been just a dead team out there on the field. They've had nothing. They have been lifeless. And Michael Penix Jr., by breaking the plane, killed them. And I think you could have maybe seen a similar momentum shift. Say they said the ruling on the field is that Michael Penix Jr. was short. Penn State wins. Uh, You could have seen, I think, a similar result uh, with Indiana. Maybe not the winless thing, but they could have fallen apart a little bit. Uh, they wouldn't be, you know, ranked in the top 25, I think. But let's say that they uh, win that game, Penn State. I think that they're at least a 500 team right now, but uh, they didn't. And they have lost all their momentum, all their fight, all their hope. And I think that is a play that could haunt Penn State football for a very, 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 very long time, certainly for the rest of the Franklin era. I agree with you um, partly. I mean, they still played their big, I mean, Ohio state, that's their biggest game of the, of the year, every season, Ohio state's the biggest rival. Um, they hate Ohio state. So they still had something to play for after that Penix play, but after just such a crushing defeat against Indiana, where they thought they had the game in the bag with two minutes left and they end up losing it. Then you go and get smacked around by your rival. Um, you know, you talk about a one, two punch with these Iowa running backs. That's a huge one, two punch uh, to just completely take the momentum and all the motivation out of a team. So yeah, if if they if if that two point conversion is called in the favor of Penn State, you're right. I think they're a 500 team. I think they beat Maryland. They beat Iowa, but it's so much of football. It's a mental game, and when you're not prepared to go face a team who's okay, like Iowa, you're gonna lose. I mean, we talk about how Iowa's Iowa's okay. They're disappointing. All this. They're still a power five team with power five players. Um, and a running back duo that's that's as good as really any in the Big Ten. So if you're not prepared to go and win a game like that, if you're not completely there and you're not ready to, to just fight for 60 minutes, you're not going to win a football game. And that's why I'm going to have trouble picking them against Michigan. Um, and I, I, I still don't know who I'm going to take that game. I don't know who I'm going to take in Penn State Rutgers. I don't know what I'm going to do. The only game I'm really confident Penn State can win is Michigan State. And even then – I think an upset could be on the horizon. We'll see. But, man, Penn State, where did it all go wrong? That's what I would be asking myself if I where, was Penn where, State. It's really where, where it went wrong was Devin Ford's touchdown against Indiana yeah. and Michael Penix Jr.'s reach. And when you talk about that mental preparedness, Reed, that's on James Franklin. That is on the coaching staff. Exactly. And honestly, if Penn State goes winless this season, which is entirely possible, if James Franklin isn't canned, then this – program could get out of control really fast and things could get even worse. So let's say Penn state wins out. Okay. You finish three and five. You can blame the pandemic. You can play that card. Say it was a weird year. We lost our guys early. Uh, no journey Brown, no Micah, no whatever. But if you go winless, if you go Oh and eight, and then let's say you play in that crossover game against Nebraska or Illinois or whoever, and you lose, you go Oh and nine, or even go one and eight. That's unforgivable. You can't come back after that. And keeping around James Franklin and a coaching staff, Kirk Sharaka, all those guys who didn't win a game or won one game or maybe even won two games, you can't do that because that could kill your program even further. Because if you can't 
you know, win three games. What does that say about you? I think that tells me that this is a coaching staff that is on its last legs and needs to be canned sooner rather than later. Yeah. And I mean, consistently Penn state has won five or six conference games under James Franklin. They do it year in year out. Now here they are. Um, and their best case scenario is, is getting four, which at least two of those, you can say they're probably not going to get, um, or at least it's up in the air. Um, I think by January, James Franklin should be the head coach of the New York Jets. That's my what should happen. <laughs> I don't think it will happen. Uh, I think Penn State's but I want to see James Franklin as the New York Jets head coach. Penn State needs to get rid of him. Jets need a new guy. Um, let's see it happen. And maybe the, maybe the Jets will pull Penn State uh, and go winless. Or actually, they wouldn't really be pulling a Penn State because the Jets wouldn't have expectations um, to go and be a top team in the NFL. But regardless, um, Franklin's got to go. But once again, it's it's just like Frost and it's just like Harbaugh. I don't think it happens. And um, I think Penn State lucks out. They go two and seven. And they say, well, they play the pandemic card. And actually, you know what? Another reason I forgot about the um, – I think I forgot about James Franklin. It's not as simple as firing or not firing. He has a huge buyout in his contract. I forget what the number is, but it is in the double digits of millions. Um, Penn State would have to spend a, burn a lot of cash to get rid of this guy. So they, so they might just think, well, our option is spending so much money to get rid of a guy who's got us a Big Ten championship, um, brought us to the Rose Bowl, gave us a Fiesta Bowl win. We're going to have to pay this much money to get rid of him. Or we can just give him another year. Hopefully he turns it around, which, I mean, to be honest, he, he is a good chance he will next season. Um, so I actually think that Penn State keeps him, even if they – I think the only way Penn State fires him is if they do go 0-9. I think even a 1-8 season would keep James Franklin uh, in Happy Valley. By the way, uh, you mentioned – it's a hilarious thing to think about. Uh, poor Seth Engel, friend of the program, Jets fan, Penn State student. Doesn't get much worse than that. He has not seen his teams win a football game this year. Not one. So uh, we're sorry about that, Seth. Uh, that's tough. Anyway, uh, our final game, Michigan and Rutgers. Triple overtime. Reed, we said this game was impossible to pick. I did the coin flip, and my coin flip told me Rutgers. I was so close to uh, believing in the coin. Uh, however... Didn't work out in my favor, but uh, Rutgers had a chance to win the game on a field goal. They missed it in overtime. Uh, this game goes into triple overtime, and Michigan gets the win. Neither of these teams are very good. You know, Pat, uh, you and said, it's a it's a miracle that Michigan won. Honestly, mm-hmm. you said that the coin doesn't lie. Well, the coin did lie in this one, and this was the ultimate coin toss game. Um, I mean. The fact that it came down to three overtimes between Michigan and Rutgers is just embarrassing. And if you think this Michigan team who played Rutgers to three overtimes, if you think that Michigan team is going to come close against Ohio State, you are out of your mind. And um, it's just, it's sad to see. Actually, it's not sad to see. It's sad to see from an objective football standpoint, but I just love it. I love seeing Michigan go in and I mean, this is, this is a Harbaugh. This is exactly what I've been waiting for, for Harbaugh ever since he was hired. This is what I love to see. They go in and they struggle with Rutgers. They Michigan, they lost to Rutgers in Rutgers first season, in the big 10. 
and they have actually played them close a few years since then. But uh, the fact that it was, it was a three overtime game against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights and that at the end of the season, they have to play an Ohio state team as stacked as this one. I hope with all of my heart that there's no COVID concerns. Um, I mean, I hope in general that, but especially for this game against uh, Michigan, Ohio state, I hope there's nothing that keeps this game from happening because actually I, I'm going to stop talking. I don't want to change myself. I don't want us to lose to Michigan in the most embarrassing way possible. I'm going to shut my mouth. Um, but the fact that this game was so close and the fact that Rutgers, I mean, Rutgers should have won this game. First overtime, Michigan misses a field goal. What does Rutgers do? They go do the exact same thing. How is that even possible? you got to have some sort of way. I mean, they had, they, they, they faced almost impossible circumstances to even put this game in overtime. They had to um, drive down the field, get a touchdown on a two-point conversion or miss the two-point conversion, get an onside, whatever. They got that two-point conversion um, on just an improbable play where Noah Vedrill uh, scrambled his way in the end zone. It really shouldn't have happened if Michigan was better on defense. That play doesn't happen. Um, but he pushed his way three yards in the end zone. So they overcame the seemingly impossible. You've got to think they got some kind of juice, some kind of momentum that's going to carry them to a victory after Michigan misses this field goal. They don't have it in them. And that's the biggest problem with Rutgers right now is, is they have the fight um, to play well. I mean, they played well against Ohio State. They, they played poorly against Illinois, but they played well against Ohio State and Indiana. They got to win against the Michigan State. They have what it takes to a certain extent, but it's it really it really hurts um to see Rutgers not have enough in the tank to get this win and you could blame it on the kicker for missing the field goal but I mean it wasn't ideal field goal range and the fact that Rutgers didn't go in and get a touchdown or at least get the ball within the 10-yard line um says enough about Rutgers so it's unfortunate but the fact that it was even this close in a Michigan game against Rutgers is awesome for me and I love it Rutgers is on the rise uh they're not quite good enough yet, but they're on the rise. And uh, that's progress. That's all you need if you're Rutgers. You just wanted to see progress this year, and you got it. But Michigan, so the rest of the season, they got Penn State, Maryland, Ohio State, and then their crossover game. I think if they win two of those, this is a team that somehow, against all odds, makes a bowl game. I don't think they win two of those, though. Yeah, I think- me too. <laughs> I mean, like I said, it's hard to pick the Penn State game, but you can say that, that one could be a loss. Maryland could be a loss right there. I think there's no way they beat Ohio State, and they could even lose the crossover game. I think they could very well lose three, um, three out of those four games, or really four out of those four games, to be honest. All those are losable games, and it wouldn't even be – like I, this Rutgers loss, I would call that an upset. I wouldn't even say it's necessarily an upset any of those games. Um if they lose, I mean, obviously Ohio state, they're, they're going to be a huge favorite against Michigan. Um, Michigan kind of has to be the favorite against Penn state just because, just because of the record, but Maryland very well could be the favorite against Michigan, the big 10 West opponent they face, let's say Nebraska for the purposes of this um, hypothetical, they could probably be the favorite. I mean, Michigan, uh, this Penn state game, or this Rutgers game might be the two last games they're favored in this season. Um, and it's funny because we thought we thought they were going to go three and five. Then they go and beat the Tar out of Minnesota. We think, whoa, we were wrong. We underestimated them. No, we we estimated them perfectly. And this game and the Michigan State game is just a testament to that. That Michigan, they don't. We we talked about Ohio State where 
their best player isn't on um, or when you're talking about, uh, <clears throat> you know, just in the Big Ten, these elite teams, they're missing a few players. And to be fair, Michigan is missing more than Ohio State was with a Justin Field bad game. They're missing um, Nico Collins, their best player. And then their next guy up, a quarterback, opted out. So they're missing two um, big players there, or really one, because Dylan McCaffrey, he was average. But uh, anyway, they're missing a lot, and they don't have the depth to make up for it. And that's the difference between Michigan and what Michigan wants to be. They want to be a team who has the depth where they can lose a big player and step up. Same with Penn State. They don't have the depth where they can lose a guy like Michael Parsons, step up and win games. That's the difference between where Michigan and Penn State are right now and where they want to be. So until they figure out um, what they need in terms of uh, depth, it actually, it's really more of a coaching issue because the players who are the backups and third strings at Michigan and Penn State, those are really, those are the same caliber guys as Indiana starters in terms of recruits. And Indiana is able to go and be ranked in the top 12 and almost beat Ohio State. That's another, that's what I'm talking about when it comes to the coaching issue is that they don't have what it takes to overcome odds. They face one little bit of adversity and it's done. And that's the problem with Michigan and Penn State. Penn State's not going to fire Franklin. Michigan probably won't fire Harbaugh. And it's just going to stay that way for a while until they figure out uh, their next, next guy up at head coach. So my player of the game for Michigan is Josh Ross. Uh, 11 tackles and a sack. Uh, this defense was awful, uh, but he was good. He was good, and, and he had a good game. And I thought the defensive uh, effort for Michigan was better than it was some games, but uh, is that even saying much? But uh, he was good, and he's been good. But uh, Josh Ross is my player of the game here in this Rutgers game because it's hard to give a player of the game for Michigan when so many of the team uh, and their players just look kind of meh at best. So uh, I'll give it to Josh Ross, though. Good game on him. I'm going to give mine to Cade McNamara. He was um, Milton's backup. He came in um, and he really revitalized this Michigan offense, got 260 yards, four touchdowns. He was what Michigan needed to win. And he actually looked good. Um, Milton, when he's faced good defenses or even this Rutgers defense, he's looked bad. Um, but there were some signs of hope in McNamara and maybe he'll be what it takes to get a win against say Maryland. Um, he put up good numbers. You can't deny it as, as rough as Michigan looked. I mean, 260 yards, 7.2 yards per play and four touchdowns. It's pretty good. Uh, he had 27 completions and 36 attempts. That is a that is an objectively good game. So I got to give him play of the game. And that's it, it says a lot when a player having a good game makes you play of the game. Usually it's it's a great game or um, one that really stands out. He only stands out because that's what I said for Brandon Peters. Yeah, exactly what I did with Brandon Peters having an okay game. Uh, but that's all you need. Actually, you know what? I wouldn't say this is okay. It was a good game. I mean, Four touchdowns. It's the Rutgers defense, but he still scored four touchdowns and got. Well, well McNamara, I think, cemented himself mostly as the guy over Joe Milton right now. Joe Milton's got the tools, but yeah. McNamara's. The and I don't think McNamara's right the guy of the future. No. And I think Joe Milton is going to be that guy in the next two years, but Joe Milton, he, he just isn't there right now. So uh, you're right about that. He, he cemented that himself, I think, as the starter for the rest of the season. But honestly, who knows with Harbaugh? He might go and play Joe Milton next week. You never know with this guy just like how Sean Clifford was playing a quarterback Penn State this week. Um, you never know what's going to happen with these two teams, so maybe not. But um, if you or I with Michigan head coach, McNamara is is the starter moving forward until he proves us 
wrong. Anyway, he is my player of the game. Um, like I said, he looked good, and that's all it takes to be a player of the game against Rutgers. So um, that's all I got for the Michigan-Rutgers game. Glad to see them struggle with uh, the Scarlet Knights. So it's always a good sight when Michigan is down bad like this. So go Bucks. <laughs> and that'll be our show for this week. Uh, thanks for listening to the first and 10. We'll have a couple more episodes coming this week. It's going to be a three-episode week, if you can believe it or not. So it's going to be a jam-packed. Uh, thanks for listening. Have a good one. Bye.